Thank you. You may be seated. Isn't that exciting to sing those songs together as a church? I hope you also do that on your own with your family. Believe it or not, some of these old songs are easier to sing than the new songs because the new songs have a lot of uh, complex melodies to them. As you can see, this one had the same melody throughout it all. All you had to do was get that little that little rhythm down. You know, once you get it down, it's like a Christmas carol, you know, so you can sing it with your family. Today, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians 2. Verse 1, we're going to learn about the world versus God. Everybody go, ooh. We're going to get it on today between the world and God. Paul is the author of a book of the book we call Ephesians. He teaches us how to live for God in this book. It was written to a people just like you 2,000 years ago who lived in a city known as Ephesus. They were once pagans. Not many of them worshiped the true God. They would have had to have been Jews at that time to do so. So not many of them were Jewish. Most of them were pagan. And they got saved because Paul went and preached to them and began began to do evangelism with them. As they began to do uh, the church and go to the Bible studies, Paul had to go and travel to the other cities to give the word of God to them. And as he would have as his custom, he would send letters back to the people so that they could know what he was teaching to keep living for God. And now these letters from the apostles are epistles for us today. Everybody say, the apostles write epistles. So these are basically the letters of doctrine and teaching for the church. And we're now in the chapter 2 here, which is the message of grace, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read chapter uh, verse 2 together, the bold portion, but I'll read it all myself. And uh, let's just read the bold portion first. That way I can read uninterrupted. So 1, 2, 3. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Wow, that's a little bit of a scary verse right there to jump into. But how many know this is true? We all used to live a certain way before we became Christians. And the Bible says the way we lived is like everybody else. We lived by the world according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, by the way? Satan. Everybody say El Diablo. See, he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You'll learn that he's also the prince of the world. He's called that by Jesus and the God of this age. And you may be saying, wow, I thought God was just in control and there was no doubt about it. And that is true. But when you look back at the Garden of Eden, we were created to have authority in this world and to operate as God's ambassadors. But when we sinned, we gave it over to the devil. So he became a false god, a dictator kind of ruler. And he began to do it from the air, from the spiritual realms, and affect the world we live in. When Jesus rose from the dead, bodily rose from the dead after being crucified, Matthew 28 says, he said, Now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So what man had lost, God got back through Jesus Christ. That's why God had to come in the flesh. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God so loved the world. 
world. The Father so loved the world that he sent the Son into the world as a man to get back what we lost. Where was all the punishment placed? All the wrath of God placed? It was placed upon Jesus in the cross. But not only did Jesus take our sins, but he took our sorrows and our sicknesses. Now I'm going to read this whole passage, 1 through 10, hopefully not interrupting. Then I'll review it so you guys can catch up if you haven't been here or just review for the rest of you to continue to add to your knowledge. And my goal is that you would at least read the passage once a week. Verse 1 through 10. That's 10 verses. How many can do that? Now, if you really want to be a baller, read the whole book of Ephesians. And if you kind of a baller on the move, guess what? They have audio Bible. 20 minutes you can listen to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and onward. Please follow along. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us, let me say all of us. Thank you. Lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Somebody say naughty by nature. Yeah, we were all naughty by nature. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. There you see the Father and the Son. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. How have we been saved? By grace. Thank you. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You may be sitting here today, but if you're a Christian, your spirit is in heavenly realms. Are you more than just your body? Yes, you are. You're also a living spirit that has a soul, and that transcends your body. You're with, you're with Christ in heavenly realms, the Bible says. Now, verse 7, looking towards the future, in order that in the coming ages, somebody say the coming ages. We will see a new age, just like the Cubs now need a new season. Well, come on, somebody. Humanity needs a new age. They got beat like they stole something, didn't they? 11 to 1, God have mercy. They should be in church this morning praying, amen. In order that in the coming ages, in the new season, God might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's been good to us, amen. Verse 8 through 10 will summarize what Paul just said. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Everybody say gift of God. Thank you. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can I just review this for you quickly? Paul is letting them know that there is some bad news upon this earth. Verses 1 through 3, break it down and make it so clear. All of us without Christ are dead in our sins. God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat from the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, the moment they ate of it, did they fall over dead? No, but they instantly knew they were naked, and when God came in the garden, as was his custom to walk and talk with them, they ran and hid, naked and afraid. That was the sign that not only would physical death eventually come, but first there was spiritual death. We learned last week that spiritual death literally means separation between us and God. People now know that God isn't as close as he ought to be. But we all have a God-shaped hole on the inside of us that we want him to fill. Think about it like this. 
Imagine if you were born and raised on an island and somebody would give you water just by coming out and setting it down every night as you would go to bed. Let's say you're there all by yourself and it's some kind of crazy experiment and this is your world and it's normal for you. So you get up in the morning, you find a little bit of water, you drink it. Now let's say around five, six years old, they don't give you any water. You wake up, but now you're thirsty. You know that you need water. You don't know the science of H2O. You don't know how it works, but you're crazy it on the inside. Let's say this is an island that's surrounded by salt water and ocean. You go to the ocean thinking that it's water, just like what you've been drinking all of this time. You begin to put it into your mouth, but you now know that it's not the same. You spit it out. You can't drink it, but yet you're craving for real water. You begin to search the island because you know something's not right in your body. Once again, physiologically, you don't understand it. You can't explain it, but all you know is you need it. You eventually find a stream. It's good, clean drinking water. You drink it. Ah, your thirst is quenched. This is what man is like. Man is here, and we know that we ought to have good things because God gives us good things. And they may be sporadic, but every now and then we don't see a good thing. We see a bad thing. But in the midst of bad things, we go looking for good things. And when we taste the wickedness of this world, we spit it out, and we know it's not right. So we have a craving on the inside of us for that pure water. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I like the way C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said, we know there's a God because we all crave him on the inside. We were made for another world. That's why we crave for it when we go to science fiction and to superheroes. We're looking for an answer for what we're craving. And so some people may say, well, that's just silly. But my question is, why do we crave it? Do animals crave a relationship with a transcendent God they don't see? But why do you? See, if it was just something you were making up, why does the craving have such a strong desire that literally out of all the population of the world, not only in the present time but in history, over 95% have always believed in God? Why has humanity reached, as it were, for God? Is that Michelangelo a painting in the 16 chapels where it's like, here is man and here is God. And we're always trying to get closer and closer, but we can never touch. Why does it feel like that? This is what Paul is describing. There is a separation. And the separation is a huge gulf between us and God. But we know we're supposed to have God. We know we're supposed to have true morals. And let me just give you another example of this. People say all the time, ah, man, I don't believe in that Bible stuff. You know, just do whatever's good for you and I'll do whatever is good for me. They say that until you step on their, their shoe on the bus and then they say, hey, you stepped on my shoe. But if you say back to them, I'm just doing what's good for me. How about you just do you? They're going to get upset with you because their, uh, their morals are subjective until you do something they're objectively upset about. See, subjective morals just means you get to do whatever you want. Objective morals says, oh man, I got to lay down the law. We all think we're, you know, sinners think they're okay with everybody doing them until somebody does does them wrong. The idea is, is that we have a moral compass, but it's broken. We have an inner thirst, but it's not quenched. 
And we have a standard that even we put on ourselves to live up to. Where did this come from? I'm supposed to be a good dad. I'm supposed to be a good mom. And when we see people act the opposite of that, we call that bad. And we say that someone who actually hurts children is what, psychotic, something's not operating right, and we want to fix it. But where did the natural desire come from? Now, they may say the animal kingdom, but don't the animals eat their own young? So it's not an animal kingdom. It's something on the inside of us that begins to tell us I was made for relationship. Because technically, if we were just animals and somebody said, well, you're just supposed to propagate your human race and that's why you want to love them. Well, why don't we just abandon them at 18 then? Why don't we just at six years old say, you're pretty good at gathering and getting food. Now we'll just drop you off in the middle of uh, the wilderness somewhere. But yet adults even on their dying deathbed, even while they're there, they don't call for their accountant. They don't call for their realtor. They don't call for their lawyer. Come on, somebody. They call for their family. They call for their children. And they want to be with them in those last moments because, once again, there's something on the inside of us that we know we need. We need love. We need relationship. We need morality. But why doesn't it work? It's because we're dead. Now, here's the problem. It gets even worse than that. Not only are we dead in our own selves, so imagine being on that island, and you're now not having the water, and you're looking for it and all of that, but now we have an enemy that's actually working against us. It's not just us working against ourselves. Now there is a ruler who is hiding the water from us, and he's actually deceiving us while we're on the island. Come on, somebody. Get the illustration here. And so all of a sudden... He becomes the God or the idol that people start to worship because they don't believe in the God that created them. Now imagine on that island that the person begins to tell them, say somebody's dropped in there and they're meant to be a deceiver. And if you've ever watched the movie Lost, uh, I mean the TV show Lost, this is something of what's going on there. Some of you say, uh, I was talking to somebody about this, like I was confused. Yes, it's a confusing TV series, but it has to deal with these kind of thoughts. If you go to the end, it's a purgatory in some way. And I don't believe in that, but there's an idea that they're trying to convey about good and evil in the world. Now follow this. Imagine if there's somebody put onto that island to deceive you. And all of a sudden they start saying, well, you can drink the salt water. You just have to drink enough of it. And as you're dying, as you're literally gasping for your last breath, they keep giving it to you and giving it to you. And they deceive you not to go looking for water that may be just 50 yards in the island. Are you listening? Is that not like what the devil does to us now? He deceives us. We're crying out for love. So what does he do? He shoves in our face perversion and pornography and playboy. We're crying out for morality. And he says, do what you want. Do what you want. And we keep doing what we want, but we're not happy. We're calling out for relationship. But he tells us to cheat and lie and not really be real with anybody because they're not going to be real with you. And he sows distrust and bitterness in our heart. And here we're gasping for help, and he's the one taking pleasure in it, in the destruction of our soul. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you see how it works? Would you rather be stolen from or destroyed? Stolen from. Would you rather be stolen from or killed? Well, I'd rather be stolen than killed. But look how he moves. He starts with stealing. And, and at first you're like, oh, you know, I used to be more happier in life than I am now. But it's probably just because I'm getting towards middle age and, you know, this is normal for everybody. But then all of a sudden he kills purposes and dreams. And then you start to get used to having things killed and dead in your life. And then at the very end he says, I want to destroy you in hell. See, the Bible says we followed his ways. Now ask yourself this question. Does the fish know it's wet? 
Does the fish know it's wet? No, it doesn't. Why? Because it's always in water. Does the sinner know it's in sin right now or they're in sin? No, because sin is natural to the sinner. And that's what Paul is saying here. We all used to live like this. We used to live in such a way that cussing out our enemy was natural because that's what we would do. They deserved it. We would live in such a way where it's okay to have perverted thoughts because that's what I am. I'm a man or I'm a woman. I'm a sexual object. That's what we do. It's okay every now and then to lie because it helps you get along, gets you a little bit further in life. Hey, do you got a social security number I can borrow? Hello, somebody. The ends justify the means. But there's a problem. The devil's just luring us in. He steals, then he kills, and then he destroys. And the Bible says that spirit was at work, not only in them, but now at work in all those who are still disobedient. See, I used to be a sinner. I can relate to this. But now I live in a world where people are still in that state. Let me talk about the spirit here. See, sometimes we think of the spirit of the age, meaning that Satan possesses everybody, that the sinner out there on the street is demon-possessed. And that's not what we believe. What we believe spirit here means attitude. Think about that Cubs game, that just tremendous whooping that they took. How many think if you would have been in that stadium at the bottom of the ninth, two outs, and it's just about ready to be over, how many know nobody's slapping high fives at that moment? How many now know as the last strike is given, the last out is done, no one in that stadium is taking out their friend for dinner and saying, let's go celebrate? It probably was quiet on the way out. People might have been bumping into each other, being easily annoyed. When they went to the bar, they probably looked at the guy and said, yeah, man, mind your own business, don't bump into me. Because that was the spirit of the fan because the team spirit was loss and defeat. Now imagine if they would have won that game. It would have been an uproar. Everybody would have been shouting on the way out instead of being upset with nudging each other. They would have been high-fiving each other instead of the guy at the bar being annoyed at the patron next to him. He said, hey, let me buy you a drink. You see, they would have been celebrating and the spirit would have been different. See, spirit in the sense of the Bible here is that the devil is a loser, and he knows he's going to hell, and he knows his time is short, so he wants you to be bitter like him. He wants to convince you to see the world not the way Christ sees the world, but he wants you to have a worldview, a set of lenses that's dark and evil and wicked and selfish. He wants you, as verse 3 says, to crave after your flesh, to listen to your own thoughts and believe them so that you can be damned like him. Because the Bible says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Deserving of wrath. See, the devil knows he's lost. The devil knows God better than you and I do, my friends. And he knows the Bible better than we do. He actually believes it when we don't. And so he knows the child of God overcomes the world. He knows the child of God will live free from his power. He knows we will rule and reign while he's thrown into a pit. And so what he wants to do is have us be losers just like him. The idea is, do you want to stay in that place? See, that's what Paul is getting across to us right here, that that's the way of the world. They're sinners. They're wet in water in their sin, and they don't even know it because that's all they know. They don't know what they don't know. Another example, and I'll just say it like this before I move on. Look at your neighbor, say the introduction. This is another way of seeing it. It's like if you got bad breath. Now, I had some bad breath the other day, and I didn't recognize. It's a silly example, but follow this with me, okay? So I'm in my office just doing my work, just chilling. My wife comes into my office. She goes, oh, man, it smells in here. 
And I go, what does it smell like? She says, your breath. Now I'm like, I'm not going to get angry at you because I know you love me. But here was the thing. I couldn't smell my own breath. I thought it smelled like roses. I was uh, just, just hanging out by myself, minding my own business. But then a little bit later on, I walk out of my office, and I come back in, not even thinking about what my wife had said previously. And guess what? I smell the stench. I smell the room. I hadn't showered either. I was in my jammy jams. Hadn't brushed my teeth. I worked from home. And I stinketh. But I didn't know that I stinketh. I didn't know what I didn't know. It took somebody telling me. I'm just asking you a question here today. Do you think the world wants us to tell them they stinketh? They don't. Because they don't stink in their mind. In their mind, I'm good. And so they look at it like you're offending me. You're telling me something that I don't want to hear. This bothers me. And so once again, what is the Christian supposed to do? Are we supposed to come to them and go, let me tell you, son, you stink, and you stink really bad. You're a sinner, and you're going to hell. Let me tell you about how bad you are. No, because that doesn't change anything. What we're supposed to do is show them these verses and show it to them by our life that God is so rich in love that he loves the stinky that he loves the sinful, that he loves us, and he's willing, like my wife, to come in and do something about it to help us. And so the question is, do you want to stay in your sin or do you want to live with Christ? Can I hear an amen if you want to live with Christ? Amen. Now let me just say these few things in, in the message today. When we look at what Jesus said about the devil, look at what he called him in 1231 of the book of John. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus knew that there was a prince of the world, and it was the devil. But he said, when I raise from the dead, I will drive him out. And when I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to me. You see, today God has the authority over the devil, but the devil has a kingdom until Jesus comes back and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. During this time is a test of free will. It is your choice. Do you serve the prince of the world? Do you follow the ways of this world? Do you follow the morality and the mindset of this world? Do you go downstream with the river or do you come towards Jesus? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, lowercase g, a false God, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now imagine this my friends, you come up to me to describe to me the most beautiful ring you have in your hand. You come and stand right in front of me and you say, Joe, this ring is so beautiful. This ring is so amazing. But I say to you, man, I don't believe you. I can't see it. And you say, no, Joe, I can see it. I'm holding it right now. And I say, oh, man, I don't even believe you're holding it right now. I can't see it. If I can't see it, I won't believe it. How many know that's the argument of a fool? Well, Joe, you can't see it because you're blind. Joe, I'm not blind and I'm seeing it. Plato talked about truth like this. It's ignorant people living in a cave down underneath the ground where they've never seen the sun. That is what ignorance is like. But truth is someone coming out of the cave, seeing the sun and the light. What is teaching? Teaching is then the one who has seen the light going into the cave and convincing them there's a light. 
That is what the gospel is like. And it's the God of this world that wants to blind the unbeliever. And here you're sitting there talking to them going, man, I was just like you. I used to think like you. I used to talk like you. But I'm telling you, God changed me. Well, I can't see God. I don't believe what I can't see. I haven't seen a miracle in my life. I only believe it when I can see it. And you're saying you'll never see it until you believe it. We don't believe. Or rather, we don't see than believe. We believe to see. Somebody put that on Facebook. We don't see to believe. We believe to see. Anselm, the famous philosopher, said it like this, I believe so that I may understand. You have to start by recognizing something is broken on the inside of you. That's why it doesn't come naturally. Everybody likes to say, well, if God was such a good God, why doesn't he do away with all the evil? And I always answer that question, okay, do you want him to do away with the evil starting in you first? Throw you out with the trash? Well, no. No, I just want him to change people. What, do you want him to change them without them wanting to be changed? Take away their free will? Which way do you want it? Well, well, I don't know. Because they don't know how to answer that, do they? If they don't want evil and God sends everybody to hell, that's one way to get rid of evil. And if they say, well, no, 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 I, I want people to make a choice. But then if God takes away their choice and programs them to love him, now they've lost their freedom of will. They no more uh, know themselves than a robot does. If I introduced my wife, Nancy, to you today and she was made out of tin, would you guys be happy for me? If I said, here's my wife, Nancy, we've been married for 10 years, it's a wonderful relationship, would you be happy for me? No, because imagine if there was a little iPad on the front there, and I come home and I go, push the button, give me a hug. Robot gives me a hug. And then I push the button that says, tell me how good of a husband I am. I push the button, you are a good husband, Joe. Would you think I was a great husband? Our God loves us enough to give us a choice. Our God is a lover of the soul. Our God is not a mechanical engineer, nothing against mechanical engineers, but he's not engineering robots. He's creating people in his image with choice. So why is there a God of the age working against us? Because God gave angels a choice, and they chose the wrong one with Satan. A third of them fell. Why is humanity having to make a choice in a world of evil and pain? Because Adam and Eve made that wrong choice. Now it's up to you. Ephesians chapter 2 says he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That means we have to fight against him if we want to see things come from heaven to earth. Just get the timeline here or get the uh, illustration in your mind. Heaven is here. Earth is here. What's in between? Air. That's what the writers are saying. They're not trying to be deep physicists here. They're just trying to give you a simple illustration. What's up here? Heaven. What's down here? Earth. What's in between? Okay, so when I say, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does it have to pass from heaven to earth? That's the illustration it's giving us is that you better be ready for a battle against Satan and his forces because he knows his time is short. So that's why we pray. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why we remain faithful even in the midst of our tests because there's a battle in that realm, in the, in the spiritual realm. Can I hear an amen? I just want you to believe this today so you can understand the world. It's the world versus God. Let me give you an example of what the world is. John told us very clearly the Bible authors complement each other, never, never contradict. 
John said it like this in 2.15 of his first epistle. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do you see the line drawn right there? The world, love. The love of God or the love of the world? You decide. God or the world, you'll love one. You will not be in this world not loving any of them. You will love the world or you will love God. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, you'll name three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the what? From the world, from the prince of the age, from the ruler of the air, from the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He wants to do these three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And how will he do it? How did he do it with Eve? Create lust. Create a temptation. A lust of the flesh, a lust of the eye, and a pride of life. Gosh darn it, it's my life and I'll do what I want within. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Can I show you those three things here? Track with me today. Don't miss out on these things. Lust of the flesh. Paul said in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, this is what the acts of the flesh are like, and they are obvious. And we talked about this last week. You will find your flavors of sin here. Just as if I took you to Baskin Robbins after service, let's go for ice cream. How many like ice cream? Okay, you're not like my kids then because they would have already screamed, where's one of my children? If I just said, do you want to go? You know you like ice cream. And I said, here it is. Pick out whatever you want. You would pick out what you like. And if you're smart like my wife, you will pick the one that I like the least so I won't touch it. It's like my kryptonite. Whenever she gets chocolate chip, mint, mint chocolate chip, it's like, oh, no, that's all yours, girl. You got that. <laughs> Excuse me. But whenever she gets like, like Oreo, you know, it's like, oh, man, come on. You know, let me get some of that. Watch this. We all got flavors of sin. We've all had our flavors of sin. Somebody might take a little bit of sexual immorality. Another person might take jealousy. Another one fits of rage. Another one drunkenness, orgies, etc. And here they are. This is our sin Sunday, as it were. This is our sin collaboration of all of what we desire in our flesh. And the idea is that Paul's telling us is they break the chains of our relationship with God. So imagine just the Ten Commandments as ten links in a chain. It doesn't matter if you break the one of lying or you break the one of stealing or you break Break the one of murder. If you're hanging from these 10 links of chains from the uh, Sears Tower and in any of them break, you are fallen. And so I shouldn't look to the one struggling with homosexuality going, look at me holding on to my chain. I'm so much better than you. And then psh, it breaks off because I was prideful, you know, because I thought I was better than anybody get that illustration. I'm better than you. Psh, there goes the one of pride. See, because the one holding on here says, yeah, I'm tempted with homosexuality, but I'll, I'll call it a sin like the Bible does and ask him to forgive me, and I'll ask him to change me. They'll, they'll make it, and I won't, because I thought I was better than them. Do you get it? And it's the same thing with any sin you deal with. See if some of your flavors of sin are up here. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, sounds like what people go to the movies to see, what they talk about on Facebook, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not only do we have these flavors of sin, like I said, we make entertainment out of these flavors of sin. That's how disgusting our culture has gotten. But can we inherit the kingdom of God this way? No. What is the lust of the eyes? Listen to this. King Solomon talked about it. He was a wise man. He was a king. He could have all that he wanted. And look at one of the revelations he came up with that God gave him. Death 
and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the human eyes. Seriously, just think about it. Let me give you some examples. Start off with that kid that was like me, fifth, uh, fifth grade, sees his first Playboy magazine. Was I good after my first Playboy? Was I good? Now I had to see it again and again and again and again. And now the new Playboy puts a transvestite in there. You say, Pastor, how do, how do I know? Because like I said, this stuff's on Facebook. I saw it on my news feed. Didn't even look for it. That's the temptation that we have. It's the world we live in. But they don't know they're wet. Because like a fish in water, they don't know what they don't know. So we tell them, hold on, hold on. First problem isn't a transvestite in your magazine. The first problem is you have a magazine that shows women's naked bodies. That's the first problem. Second problem is this person doesn't know who God made them to be. So before we, uh, you know, disfigure their whole body, why don't we try to heal the heart? That will be a lot less painful, a lot less hormones. And they call us the hate monger. Okay, here's your solution to the one that's gender confused. Let's disassemble the body, totally just tear it apart, and then give them hormones and treatment the rest of their life. And my solution is let's love them and help them to love the skin they're in. I'm the hate monger. You're the hate monger. Why? Because the spirit of the age is following Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey don't know what she don't know. She's just wet in water because she's wet in water. She doesn't know what it's like to not be wet in water. And did you? No, Paul is reminding us all of us used to live among them. And like I said, we chose our own flavors of sin. Because you get some hillbilly and say, well, I don't do none of that junk. I'm not like them. Yeah, but you get drunk on the weekends, Billy Bob. And you're racist. You're full of hatred. Hello? See, everybody's flavor of sin is just enough to damn their soul to hell. The human eyes aren't satisfied with seeing. Now, there may be some real sophisticated person say, no, I'm not addicted to what my eyes see. Okay, can I check your closet then, ladies, and see how many shoes you have? I'm just curious because you really only need about one, right? How many pairs of feet do you have? One. So how many pairs of shoes should you technically have? How many do you have? <laughs> because our eyes are never tired of seeing. I need that one. I need this one. I need that one. I need this one. And I need that one. What about the things that aren't even bad? Somebody says, well, man, Pastor, I mean, you know, I live, I live out here in Alaska. I, I only do have one pair of shoes. Yes, but... The sunset last night is not good enough for the sunset today. you got to see it again and see it again. And you're on an adventure, and the adventure is always needing to get up and up and up, 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 up to, to satisfy your craving of life, and you're never satisfied. You always want the next adventure, the next, the, the next uh, mountaintop experience, and we're addicted to what our eyes want and crave. Can anybody relate? Can I hear an amen? Thank you. And what is the pride of life? We all got it. We know what it is. We know how it acts. But Psalm 10.4 says it just like this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. and all his thoughts, there's no room for God. See, for me, I'm happy you're here today. Because already you've had to deny some of the pride of your own life to come here. But there are people right now out in the world that were just like us before we used to come to church. Where I'm not talking they're angry at God. They're not even thinking about God. They don't even think about God. There's just not even a thought about God. They go through their whole entire life just thinking about me, myself, and I, us four, and no more here in the family. And God says they're wicked. They're, they're not just 
kind of too busy kind of busybody people. No, no, they're wicked. What does the Bible call them? Wicked. Why are they wicked? Let me give you the example. Imagine you lived in Miami, man, and you're up vacationing somewhere up here in Chicagoland. You know, you got to get away from the heat. Maybe during the summer you were up here. And let's say that hurricane came like it was coming towards Miami. And you run out of money, but you were on vacation. So you were like, say, in a bed and breakfast. Maybe you found a cool little place to be around here. Or maybe one of these Airbnb places. You were in somebody's house. And uh, you call them up and say, hey, man, you know, there's a hurricane down in, uh, in, in, in my, my area in Miami. I, I can't go back home. Can I stay here? And they say, sure. And you're like, but man, I ran out of money. And they're like, sure, go ahead. Now imagine you just start to camp out there. Imagine after a certain amount of time the hurricane passes, everything's good. They call you up and they're like, hey, man, can we get the place back? We want to rent it. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. They say, well, it's kind of our place. You're like, no, no, this is my place, mine. I actually changed the locks. So if you try to come in, you can't get in. And they say, you did what? Now imagine this. Do you think at that point the person who owns that Airbnb or that bed and breakfast is just going to like be like, hey, that's okay, take my house? No, they're going to be like, police, you go get them out of there. Bust down that door. Get them jokers out. Throw them in jail. They took what I gave them, and they abused it, and then they stole from me, and this is what they did. That's why the Bible says sinners are wicked, because they live in God's world, never tell him thank you. They see all this stuff here, and they say it's theirs. They say, they, they say this brain is theirs, and the thoughts they have is theirs, and the, and the ground they dug up gold was theirs, and the computer they made from the resources was theirs, and God sends gospel preachers to say, hey, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they give the preacher the middle finger. And God says, time's coming. Well, you will be judged, sentenced to hell. No one goes to hell unfairly. Do you get it? No one's going there unfairly. Adam and Eve wasn't an oopsie-doopsie. Oh, well, we didn't know. No, you did know, Eve. He told you not. You only had one thing to do. One thing to do. Don't eat it. And what did you do? You ate it. He told you you were going to die. He told you this was going to happen. And now God says the same thing to us. I want to show you in the example here of some other scriptures of how we have to come against this world, not the people, because that's what Ephesians 6.10 is going to clarify. We're in a battle, but not against people. Somebody say, Lord, help us. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's my fight against you. It's my fight against Donald Trump. It's my fight against Hillary Clinton. It's my fight against RuPaul or whatever perverted person is out there. No, it's my fight against Kanye West. Can I get an amen? No. Come on, somebody say amen. My struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, And again, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Remember, we learned about that. Heaven's here, earth is here. There's a battle in these heavenly realms. Four levels. Rulers, authorities, powers, forces. You will feel the force of Satan against you the moment you decide to live for God. Has anybody realized they're in a battle? How many realized the day you got saved you were in a battle? I lost friends within 24 hours of getting saved. I was in a battle before I even knew how to say battle. I just woke up the next day after being saved. My friend wanted me to take him to the airport, said he would give me some weed. I said, man, I don't need any weed, but I'll give you a ride to the airport. He then asked me why I didn't want to smoke weed because that's what I was known for doing. Then I told him I got saved. He's our, he started to get upset with me. Then we got into an argument, and then I didn't see him for a long time. That was just within 24 hours of becoming a Christian because he didn't want me to get out the water and get dry. I, he, I had to stay wet if he was going to be my friend. 
I had to stay a sinner if he was going to hang out with me. But I said, no, man, somebody told me my breast stinks. And Jesus gave me some good mints, and I ain't going back to that. And here's the deal. I'm not even judging you. I'm just telling you, you stink right now. I'm not even, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, you're in sin right now. Now, is that mean? No. How many know you got a good friend if they tell you your breast stinks? How many know you got a good friend if they tell you you got some boogies in your nose? The worst thing you can ever do is let me have boogies in my nose or some food in my teeth and you not tell me. And then after I've just been like, God bless you, and I go to the mirror and I see this big thing hanging out here, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I talked to 15 people out here, and not one of them told me I had a boogie hanging out my nose because I always have to do that. And it's like, come on, real friends tell you the truth. Amen? Sadly, some people become Christians, leave the world, but then go back to the world. Look what Paul said to Timothy. He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10. Do your best to come to me, Timothy. For Demas, because he loved the world, he deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Look at this, man. Everybody look up at me, please. I could keep you here all day with people who have left me because they left God. It had nothing to do with I wasn't a good friend anymore. They just left me because they left God. And I want to tell some people right now, you got to let people leave you if they've left God. you got to give them that gift of goodbye. Because I'm just here to tell you, there are some people that are not meant to go to the next step of the journey with you because they want the world more than they want God. Now, I'm not saying we give up on people. We love them. Paul loved this man, Demas. But he had to tell as it was, Demas left me because he loved the world. Does it say Demas went and became a satanic priest, put 666 on his head, started sacrificing children, became a mass murderer? No, because that's what people think when they leave the church that they're comparing themselves to, so they're good. Pastor, you know, I'm just busy now. I don't have time to come to church like I used to. It's because I'm in school. I'm working. I'm taking care of my kids. I'll come check you out when I can, Pastor. So like they want me to think to myself, oh, you're good then. That's awesome. You can break God's commands and be good. And then when I'll say something to them like, well, God says we should not forsake gathering together and the church is important and the Bible is important. You know what they say? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not murdering anybody, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not doing the mass murder stuff. I'm not a bad husband. I'm not a bad this. Hold on. How many chains hold us up? The commands of God. You're breaking these, but you think it's okay. Hold on. There's something deeper here. Let me just ask you like this, and I think everyone should ask somebody you meet that's called a backslider who doesn't come to church anymore, not necessarily this church. Just get past all that nonsense. Well, I'm busy and this. No, no, just ask them this. What did you want in the world that God wasn't giving you? What taste and craving did you have that the church and God wasn't giving you? Just come on. Let's just cut through all the nonsense. Well, they offended me. I got busy. No, no, no. Just tell me what it is. What? You wanted to sleep with your girlfriend? You wanted to keep looking at porn? You wanted to keep your money for yourself because you worked so hard, didn't want to feel pressure to give a tithe or an offering? You didn't, you didn't want to have to feel like you had to help somebody out, so you, you, know, you just wanted to do you? Isn't that what it comes down to? When you break it down, it's just people saying... I love the world more than I love God. And I know what people want to say after that. They want to say, no, and that's why I got James up here. No, you know what, Pastor? I still love God. Just every now and then I got to kind of dip over to the world for a little bit. So that would be like me saying to my wife, honey, you know I love you. I just got to dip over here to this other lady's house every now and then. Is that I? Yeah, I with that, baby? Because I love you. You still my number one. And I'll be with you on anniversaries and all this. I just need some time over here, baby. 
No, she's not playing that. I got like all 70s like funk like right there. Sorry, I just got weird voices. Pray for me. Amen. Look at James 4 verses 4 through 5. You adulterous people. He's talking to Christians. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means an enmity against God, means warfare against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world because becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? Woo, that just got deep. Number one scripture why Oprah Winfrey left serving Jesus right here. You can look it up online. Why did Oprah Winfrey stop being a Christian? Because she heard the scripture about Jesus and God being a jealous God, and she said, that's petty. I can't serve a God that's petty because a God that would be jealous over me, that's a God that's not all powerful. That's what she said. Look it up. I used to play it up here, but then I talk about her too much, and people wonder why I'm messing with her all the time. I just feel like it represents the spirit of our age because she's got so much money. She's so sophisticated. She's so smart. And the whole idea is, man, I'm going to hell and looking good. This can't be wrong. And in their mind, man, if I'm going to hell and looking this good, I can't be wrong. Because the way of the world looks so tantalizing and tempting, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It does, doesn't it? You see the magazine articles. You see the world. And it becomes almost like God is, God is the, you know, the, he's the party pooper. Every party's got a pooper, and he's the pooper in the party. God, if you would just lighten up a little bit, I could be a good friend of this world. And I think I could help more people too, right? Because, you know, God, we're not going to hurt anybody. We just want to have different opinions about morality. What does it really hurt for, a, you know, a couple to have sex before marriage? Or, you know, what does it hurt for me to get angry every now and then and lose my temper? But you know what God says? If you don't love me with all your heart and I'm not the Lord of all, I'm not the Lord at all. It's the same thing with my wife. My wife was not going to let me give 95% to her and 5% to Dolly Parton or some woman over here. She was not going to give her heart, a little, make her heart a condo and say, I'll share it with my husband. No, it's either my husband has all my heart or he gets none of it. Can I hear an amen? All right, here it is in closing. Look at your neighbor and say, here it is. When Eve was tempted... We see that she was tempted in the same ways Jesus was, but Jesus won the temptation against the flesh, the eyes, and the world. Eve saw the fruit and said, man, this looks good. But when the devil said to Jesus, you're hungry, make rock into stone, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone. Put Satan back in his place. When Eve was there looking at the fruit, her eyes began to see it's pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She said, maybe I can make a trade here. I'll get a little wisdom with a little bit of death. Death, this thing called death can't be too bad. But when the devil showed Jesus all those kingdoms that he had been given because Adam and Eve had sinned and he had the authority, remember right here in verse 6, he says, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. Was the devil lying that time? No, there was a truth in that because Adam and Eve had it and now he got it from us. But he said, you worship me. Did Jesus say, okay, let's make a deal. I'll give you the earth, give me the rest of the planets. No, God wanted all the earth, all the planets, all the universe to be under his lordship. He said, it's written only, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. When Eve then took that fruit, what was she saying? She was saying, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want. She ate it, and then she gave it to Adam, and he ate it too. And then what did the devil say to Jesus? Hey, 
You're so awesome, Jesus. You know what? The angels, they're always with you. I can see them because they're beating up my demons. You know what? Just jump off here. Just jump off here. Do a little trick for everybody and let the angels come get you. What did Jesus say? He said, no, do not put the Lord your God to test. Think about it quickly, my friends, as the band comes. Eve was tempted with the flesh and failed. She was tempted with her eyes and failed again. She was tempted with the pride of life and broke her covenant with God. Jesus had to come in the flesh to die for our sins. And what does he show us? He shows us that when he's tempted with the flesh after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, you couldn't be more hungry or thirstier than that. He goes, devil, you can't get me to break the word of my father. It didn't matter how bad it was for him. Eve could eat from any tree and had been, and yet she fell for the lust of her flesh. Just one more apple, one more apple won't hurt, you know. And here's Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, and he's like, no, I'm still not breaking it. What does that tell us? It doesn't matter how bad your flesh is. You can follow Jesus. Count it crucified. The Bible says deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. The next thing that we see, the lust of the eyes. Here Jesus literally had to get back the authority mankind had lost. So he now had to make a deal of some kind. It was either the Father's deal, which was this, die on the cross, have me put all of man's sins, sicknesses, and sorrows on you, have me turn my back on you at three in the afternoon, and let the sky become pitch black, and you beg for me, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? We do that, or here's the devil. Take one knee for me, and I'll give it all to you. See, if there was anyone that could have said, dude, this is so much easier. Remember Jesus praying, if there's another way, you know, God, then give it to me. Otherwise, not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus shows the will of God, even though it was going to be a cross, even though it was going to be torture, and even though it meant he was going to be forsaken by the Father. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to deny what your eyes want, even though it may hurt, even though sometimes you may have to do without, even though people in this world may call you lame and reject you? Are you willing to pay a price like Christ? Jesus showed us it's worth it, isn't it? Because he raises from the dead and he says, boom, it's done now, devil. Take that. You're under my feet. And then the last thing that we see, the pride of life, not our will, but God's will be done. Think of it like this. Love instead of lust, we're going to obey God instead of following our flesh. 1 John 2, 5 through 6. We're going to set our eyes on the kingdom and set upon the things of this world. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Does God want us to have a great life? Yes. Does God want us to be blessed? Yes. But kingdom business first, kingdom-minded first. He's the gear that turns everything around. And instead of pride, we have humility. We say to God, thank you for this life. He gives more grace to the humble. Somebody say, more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will do what? Will lift you up. Have you ever seen the meme where the person's on their knees praying? The devil's trying to attack them, but God is standing right at their back and the devil can't get around to them? If you haven't seen it, I'll put it on my Facebook 
post today. But that's the image that we're getting here from James. It's the same thing of Paul. We're here to stand in the authority of God. We're here to resist the devil and he will flee. You don't have to be sin conscious. Be God conscious. You don't have to allow this world to uh, condemn you and make you feel guilty. Love them but hate the sin. You've heard that before, right? Love the sinner and hate the sin. That's a biblical concept. Can I show you how it is? Because he said all throughout here, don't love the world. Don't love the world, right? Did you guys hear that today? Don't love the world. And John, you heard it? But what does John 3.16 says? God so loved the... Oh, I thought there was a contradiction there now. Hold on. God said he loved the world, but he told us not to love the world. How do we resolve that? By doing what we just said. What we're not to love is sin. What we are to love is people. My battle's not against the sinner. My battle's against the sin and the ruler of this dark age who has lied to them. Can I read you this last portion of a scripture now in my third closing? Thank you for your patience. The Bible gives us a clear mandate, and I want you to see it because I don't want anyone here to be on the side of the world. Altar workers, would you come? I want to pray after we read this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? flee from you. I want you just to close your eyes if you could, please, before we go. Thank you for your patience. What right now in your life needs to flee? What right now in your life needs to change? Ask God to come into your heart and take it away. You don't have to do a 12-step program. You don't have to get angry and start yelling at the devil, devil, leave me alone. I'm going to beat you up in Jesus' name. It's okay to get excited and pray, but I'm just giving you the principle here. The principle is your heart decides what your heart will love and what you will give your life to. We're made as creatures that can only go in one direction at a time. So that means whatever you're walking to, there's something else you're walking away from. When the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee, what that means is you're walking away from him and to the Lord. When it says humble yourselves, what that means is you're not exalting yourself. Just think of that in your mind right now as you begin to pray about three things you want God to take out. You're simply surrendering, walking away, and you're letting God deal with the temptation. You're letting God deal with the power that it has over you, and he promises you that he takes care of that. When I smoked my last cigarette, I felt the Lord tell me, Joe, if you don't pick one up, I'll break the addiction over your life. I haven't smoked in over 20 years because I resisted. I said, I'm done. Now, some of you have not been born again, and what that means is to be saved, as we read in Ephesians, by grace through faith. And so you can start a relationship with God today by being born again. We talked about this last week as well. Being born again means a new spiritual life. So all that which you've been doing, like the Bible says, in the ways of this world, in the water, as it were, you're now taking a step out of that. You're coming into a new way of living. You're coming into a new spirit, not the spirit of the age, but the Holy Spirit, who is a person who will live on the inside of you. A few more moments praying for things to leave your life right now, a new season. You're giving God the things of this world and trade for the things of his heart. Those of you who struggle with perversion, it's not that perversion is that strong in your life. It's just that you don't love purity enough. If you love purity with all your heart, there'd be no room for perversion. 
Those of you who struggle with your temper, it's not like you were just born this way and you can't do anything about it. And, you know, if I was in your shoes, I would understand. No, here's the deal. The reason why you lose your temper is because you try to hold on to your emotions instead of letting God have them. Think of just how the terminology is. Lose your temper. I gave my temper to God. I don't even control it anymore. I'm spirit-led. That's how we should be. So what happens when I, quote, unquote, lose my temper as a Christian? No, I didn't lose it. I took it back from God and said, let me do it my way now. See the difference? Come on, somebody. See the difference? I'm supposed to give God my emotions. I don't have permission to walk in this body that he gave me any old way I want. A few more moments, pray. Come on. What's been your flavor of sin? What about selfish ambition? You say, Pastor, I'm just ambitious. Man, I just want to do great things in life. God, that can't be wrong. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you ambitious for the things of God? Do you place God in the forefront of all you are ambitious for? Your job, your career, your family? Or do you try to ask God to come on like that optional upgrade into your life and say, well, my life's pretty good, but... Maybe it will be better if I get that sunroof. You know, maybe it will be better if I get those rims. You know, God, yeah, you come on in my life too. See, it's a way of thinking. Is God your everything or just a part of the things you do? Those of you who struggle with selfish ambition, come on, say, God, I want you to be my everything. I want you to be my everything. A few more moments, you talk to the Lord. Now, I'm trying to help some who are new at praying. Pray through these things. Set it in your heart, the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of this world, the things of God, the things of God. Jesus, we want to live for you. Now, before we go, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a second. But as we do, I want a special thing to happen here as we stand. As we stand up, if you're going to live for God in the way the Bible talks about, you know, really just putting him first, surrendering all that you do, seeing him in your thoughts and in your mind, as we stand up, I just want you to raise your hands as a sign of surrender and say to God, my heart is yours, my life is yours, you know, in your own words, and use me. Use me for your glory. Are you ready to do that on the count of three? Those who want to be world changers, get up, one, Two, three, history makers, world changers. Come on, who wants to be who God called them to be? Just say, Lord, use me. We'll dismiss in just a second. God, use me in my family. Use me in my marriage. Use me on my job, oh God, in my education, wherever you're going after this. Come on, use me, Lord. Lead me, guide me. My life for your glory. In the name of Jesus, God, as we get ready to dismiss, may we never forget your presence. As we learn the other messages of grace, may we remember this one, that it's your ways over the ways of the world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you give it up for the Lord one more time? Come on. Slap your neighbor high five and say, live for Jesus. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. If you would like prayer, come on up. We would love to pray with you or to worship. You can do so. Otherwise, enjoy the day. God bless you. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So on earth. 
as it is in heaven. Oh, yes, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So on earth as it is in heaven. Come lift it up. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. My life for your glory. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Sounds like all piano. Where's the bass? Where's the bass here? Yeah. So the problem is you've got to talk to Vinny. You're not split key. You're basically playing as if this whole thing is split key. And that's why when you start to now hit bass lines, it's uh, like muddled. It's too muddled. You've got to learn how to hit bass lines here and then play lead there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't give me any lead right now. Just give me bass. Gonna sing it. I will be here. Where's your bass right here? Sing your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. As we get ready to dismiss the band, keep praying, keep worshiping. The ways of the world can't compare to the love of our Father. The love of our Father is so much greater than anything the world could ever offer us. Right, brother? Come on. So what we need to do, those who are praying, just hear me as I, as I share this, is what we need to do is we need to be so in love with our Father, so in love with Jesus, that the grace of God becomes the atmosphere or the air that we breathe. I had read a quote about Mordor, a science fiction place in Lord of the Rings in the first service. And there's a quote in there that says that the air of Mordor is poisonous. And the idea is it's that bad. But you know what? The Spirit of God, the atmosphere of love, is that much more marvelous. 
Where sin abounds, grace will abound that much more. So I want to encourage you to be lovers of God's grace this week, to see his presence everywhere you go, to breathe him in and let him use you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After party, we love you. Have a wonderful day. Keep praying, worshiping.